we have yet another challenging scripture uh, to wrestle with this morning, don't we? And I'm sorry, um, we're going to finish a little bit later than normal. Are you okay with that? Let's put our listening ears on and let's um, dive into the text. So, we have been thinking about various things, uh, but today we'll be asking the question, what is the secret to making disciples? What is the secret to making disciples? As disciples of Jesus, many of us have our bookshelves full of books promising to reveal the secret of how to successfully make disciples. The bookshelves at Christian bookshops and at theological colleges groan under the weight of the amount of books and resources that are available on the topic, don't they? As I read this passage in preparation to preach this sermon, I noticed something subtle that I hadn't seen before, and we'll come to that shortly. Chapter 10, the entire chapter of Luke's gospel, illustrates the threefold ministry of every Christian. As followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors for Jesus, sent to represent him in the world. We are also called to be good neighbours, imitating Jesus and looking for opportunities to show mercy and kindness, as described in the parable of the Good Samaritan. At the heart of ministry that God has given to each one of us is the centrality of the importance of being devoted to Christ. We are worshippers who listen to the word and commune with God just like Mary did at the end of chapter 10. Whether we are in the harvest field, on the highway, or in the home of friend or stranger, our highest privilege and our greatest joy should be to extend the kingdom of God by bringing his blessings to everyone that we encounter. In our passage today, we're going to focus on the secret that has been revealed in this passage, that making disciples means bringing blessing to the world in Jesus' name. There you go. There's the secret. We can go now. Or shall we stay and wrestle with it a bit more? Let's do that. Let's stay and wrestle with it a bit more. This event that we're going to think about should not be confused with Jesus sending out the 12 apostles Although the charges are similar, the apostles ministered throughout Galilee and these anonymous disciples uh, were sent out in the region of Judea, which was in the south. Have you ever wondered why the number 70 was so significant in the passage? Firstly, just as the 12 apostles were associated with the 12 sons of Jacob, which correlated to the 12 tribes of Israel, the author Luke may have been intentionally emphasizing the universality of the gospel message because it was believed there were 70 nations in the world as listed in Genesis. Track with me. If this is correct, then Luke was communicating a powerful message about the inclusivity of God's love, even extending out to the Gentile nations, those nations that were not part of Israel. The nations of the world. 
Luke is demonstrating that Jesus wanted the gospel message to be spread as far as possible and to reach all nations of the world, even at this early stage in Jesus's ministry. We see God's concern for the entire world and we see his desire to bless it. Are you with me? The 70 people also resemble the elders who were chosen to help Moses with leading and directing the people in the wilderness. The 70 were sent out with a commission from Jesus to represent him in the world. They were not only sent by him, but they were sent to go before him to prepare people's hearts and minds to receive him. They were commissioned to represent the king to bring blessings to all who could accept him, okay? So why did Jesus use the parable of harvesting? These disciples had a difficult task ahead of them because harvesting is strenuous, it's hard work, it's challenging. These laborers were sent out into a vast field with very few co-workers to help them to reap the great harvest. Jesus acknowledged the magnitude of the work that was before them and he encouraged them to pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers. In our times, the harvest we face today is huge and it can feel overwhelming because the workers are so few. So like the disciples, we also need to pray for more laborers to join us as we show others who Jesus is and prepare their hearts to receive him. These disciples had not been to theological college. They were not better qualified or more capable than any other of Jesus's followers, but they did respond with willingness to go and to bless the communities in Judea. Jesus gave them the mission and the vision. They were called to heal the sick and tell people that the kingdom of God was near. They knew what they had to do, but how did they achieve it? It was through Jesus's instruction, power, and authority. It is important that we dedicate our skills and abilities to God's mission. It's important, but it's absolutely fundamental to fully rely on Jesus in the work, to fully rely on his instruction and to fully rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in all that we do. Just like the disciples, before we do anything, we must follow Jesus' guidance and pray. At North Street Church, we need to pray for more workers, don't we? in order that the gospel can advance rapidly and richly. Are you with me? We need to pray. That theme of prayer is feeding through again, isn't it? The importance of prayer. Before these disciples went anywhere, they were mobilized to pray. I believe God wants us to pray, to recruit and equip others to join us as we mobilize together to take the gospel to others and to explore opportunities to bless others in our community. 
but prayer must come first. The disciples had a dangerous calling because as they invaded enemy territory, they would be like lambs among wolves. These lambs would need to completely rely on Jesus in every way. When we take Jesus seriously and labor for him, we become a target for the enemy. Some people will respond positively to the gospel, the blessing that we have to offer, but others will respond with hostility and even hatred for all that we stand for. The disciples had to be disciplined and exercise their faith at every turn. They had to be careful because they faced danger at any moment. In a similar way, there is that same sense of opposition today in our context. We too are sent out like lambs among wolves. We must be alert and face the enemies of Jesus, not with aggression, but with love and gentleness, with the power of God's love and kindness. That's how we face the enemies of God. Making more disciples is both struggle and joy. Why was Jesus so specific with his instructions to the 70? Jesus told them not to take any money, traveling bags or extra sandals. Why? Why could they not take these practical and essential items with them? Because Jesus did not want the disciples to be overburdened with all the additional supplies that they thought they needed for the journey. In a similar way, Jesus doesn't want us to be overburdened with all the stuff, anything that hinders our movements and willingness to go when and where he calls us. Are you with me? Why was it that the disciples were not permitted to stop and greet people on the road? Have you ever wondered? That seems a bit antisocial, doesn't it? A bit unfriendly. But the thing is, Eastern greetings could be often elaborate, very elaborate, and would cause significant delays for them. It seems that Jesus didn't want his disciples to get distracted from their mission. Jesus wanted them to be single-minded and entirely focused on what he had called them to do. It's not an instruction to be discourteous, but it meant that those serving God must not linger wasting time on lesser things while great things call them. Jesus doesn't want us cluttered up with materialism or distraction. He wants us to be free of the unnecessary burdens that hinder his call on our lives. Are you with me? Jesus wants you to be free and unburdened. Don't waste your time on lesser things when the greater things are calling. I want you to hear that. 
I can be sure of this. Jesus is calling each and every one of you to bless other people. Ultimately, Jesus was also asking them to simply and completely trust God to provide for all their needs. Not some, but all. All of their needs. What did God do? He housed them and he fed them. He met their needs. Trusting wholeheartedly in God also meant that they had to humble themselves and rely on God and accept the help that he provided. William Barclay argued that servants of a crucified master cannot be seekers after luxury. God will meet our needs, but we mustn't pursue luxury. We're not called to independence. We are called to be completely dependent on God for everything. In their humility, the disciples were not embarrassed about accepting hospitality because they needed to learn to simply trust in God. And so do we. We need to learn to trust in God. Humility is a truly beautiful quality, isn't it? True humility is a beautiful quality. And the disciples exercised that when they trusted in God to meet their needs. As most of you know, I lived and worked at Lee Abbey Christian Community for two years. But initially, initially, I didn't really want to go. And I turned down my offer of invitation. Some months later, realizing I had made a mistake... I approached Lee Abbey again, and thankfully, they were willing to have me. When I was packing, and my family may remember this, when I was packing, I tried to stuff my car with all my exercise equipment, with my weights, in the hope it would all fit in nicely, and it would all fit in the tiny little room that was going to be provided for me. As most of you know, the barbell I have is six feet alone. So I definitely had a challenge when I tried to stuff everything into the car. So in the end, I got a bit frustrated and I had to make the decision to leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Which initially was a bit distressing for me because I didn't know how I'd be able to exercise at Lee Abbey. What was amazing was once I had let go of my burdens and stepped out in faith, God provided a local gym in Linton in North Devon for me to go to and escape to. And it was very cheap and accessible. But it was one of those old school gyms, the best, the best kind, squat cages, free weights, things were dirty and it wasn't very busy. Fantastic. And actually, I ended up being in the best shape of my life. Once I'd made that decision to let go of those burdens and trust in God, God met my needs, and I actually ended up in the best shape of my life. As you know, my experience at Lee Abbey brought amazing blessings to me. 
But to receive that, I had to be willing to let go of the burdens that were holding me back. I don't know if that speaks to anyone here. Let go of the burdens that hold you back. Let's move forward. So why did Jesus tell the disciples to speak peace over the homes they entered? These disciples were ambassadors of peace. They brought healing to the sick and brought deliverance to the demon-possessed. Sorry. They brought the good news of salvation to the lost, to people who had no hope, to people who were alienated from society, to people who thought they were okay, but then realized they weren't okay. Jesus was hope to them. In the Old Testament, when Joshua's army proclaimed peace to a city, if that city rejected this offer of peace, then that city chose judgment. Jesus made it clear that rejecting his ambassadors is like rejecting him. And rejecting him is like rejecting the one who sent him, God the Father. Just like in the Old Testament, Jesus made it clear that this is a very serious decision to reject the ambassadors that God sends. Jesus wanted his disciples to pronounce peace, more accurately, shalom, shalom, over those they encountered and stayed with. Shalom was a greeting and a farewell. But to the recipient of shalom, the speaker was saying, may you know deep peace within. May there be harmony in your life and household. May you feel whole emotionally, spiritually and physically. May you prosper in all you do. May you have enough and never experience deprivation or exploitation. May you be free from oppression and discrimination. May you also know the close friendship of God. Shalom. The disciples were to be a blessing. They were to pronounce shalom. So why did Jesus tell them to wipe the dust off their feet if they were not welcomed? My conclusion is this, because wiping off the dust meant not letting that rejection stick to them and hinder their desire to bless others. Are you with me? Wiping their feet meant not obstructing the call of Jesus on their lives to bless the world. Why did Jesus direct the disciples to stay in one place? This is extremely good foresight because staying in one house avoided potential problems. If the disciples moved from house to house, this could cause offense to the families who took them in. There could be competition for them, and some could feel they weren't important enough to hear the gospel and to have the presence of a disciple in their home. If the disciples appeared not to appreciate the generosity that was shown towards them, this would reflect very badly on Jesus and eventually turn a town against him. That's why Jesus told them to eat the food put before them. By staying in one location, the disciples would be able to wholeheartedly focus on the task in hand 
and that was to prepare people's hearts and minds to receive him. It was to bless the people, wasn't it? Okay, I am coming into land. Later on in the passage, Jesus tells his followers that they are blessed to witness with their eyes what the prophets and the kings from ancient Israel longed to see. As a follower of Jesus, you and I are more blessed, we are more blessed than any other human being in history that ever lived before Jesus. The blessing we have received far outweighs the cost of carrying our cross and following him. If we struggle to believe that, we've spent too much time going in and not enough time going out. At times we may have had to be willing to let go of our comforts and preferences and to simply go out into the huge field that is right before our eyes, ready and ripe for the harvest. Jesus has blessed us and we have the privilege of sharing the gospel and bringing the healing love of Jesus to others. We've been commissioned to bless others. So, what's the secret to making disciples? This is not a comprehensive answer, but it is a place of starting. The secret to making disciples is going and blessing the world in Jesus' name. Just like the 70 did. What this sermon won't do is tell you how you can bless others. That is for you to figure out in prayer and with the presence of the Holy Spirit as Jesus guides you. We don't want to be disciples and a church fellowship that insist that people must first behave the right way and second, believe the right things before they find a meaningful sense of belonging. We want to reverse that historic pattern, don't we? By saying, come and belong. Wherever you are on your journey, come and belong. God wants you to trust in him. And your belief in him will challenge what you think and how you behave. You've heard of this evangelism model. Belong, believe, behave. It's a great model and it works. But I want to argue that before we do anything at all, we should first pray and then go out to bless others. Blessing them in Jesus' name. To me, it's very clear. We've been called by Jesus to go and bless others. Maybe if we focus on blessing others as our evangelism strategy, they might feel that perhaps they could belong to the community of Jesus' people. And once they belong, maybe the door to belief in their hearts will be opened. And maybe they'll be transformed by Jesus and his love for them. If you forget most of what I've said this morning, remember this. Go and bless. Bless, bless, bless. Go and bless. Bless, bless, bless. In Jesus' name. I'll finish with this question. To whom are you being called to bless today? To whom are you being called to bless today? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, help us to be a blessing to the world, just like those disciples were. Help us to bless those we encounter. Help us to reveal your love for them. Help us to be Jesus to them so they may see that you are alive and want to know them. Amen.